This podcast is brought to you by Eventide, makers of the legendary Harmonizer. Their new H9000 is the culmination of almost 50 years of audio innovation. To learn more about their award-winning effects processors and plugins, visit eventideaudio.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. We first met esteemed mix engineer Michael Brower in Tape Op number 37 in 2003 when Mike Caffrey interviewed him about his multibus mixing technique. Some 16 years later, Michael and I sat down at his new space, Brower Sound Studios, to discuss his career path and unique mixing techniques. He's crossed genres frequently, working as a mixer on projects by artists as varied as Luther Vandross, Aretha Franklin, The Rolling Stones, Tony Bennett, Coldplay, John Mayer, Kaye 13, Angelique Kijo, Phoenix, Bon Jovi, M. Ward, Granddaddy, Caveman, James Bay, and Grizzly Bear. I caught up with Michael at his new studio in New York City. Enjoy! All right, it's been a while. <laughs> it has so, been. So, Michael. Um, there's a lot of things to discuss, a lot of changes, but the first time we really never done never done like a proper sort of career interview with you. I think we oh. have we have the piece that's all about your parallel compression, sure, sort of a or your compression sort of based mixing technique, and we'll talk about some of that in a second. But and we have thoughts of yours that got incorporated into the tape op over the years, and uh, man, I don't know how you got your start in the business. And I don't want to delve into hours of this because I know our careers are deep, but. Um, you know, the start is always because of one particular record, right? Till then, you're just you know, <laughs> right? slaving away and suddenly uh, one day, you know, a record comes out and suddenly, you know, becomes successful and people say, who is that? And when, that when... record for me, it it kind of it was a slow ramp went slow to quick on i was at media sound mm -hmm. so i got hired there in 76 yeah <laughs> and i went from basically intern to head of the interns called shipping department <laughs> yeah and then assistant within a year wow and then within 2 years i was staff engineer mm -hmm. which back then really wasn't a stretch yeah you could become a staff engineer on a studio where there's you know it, it wasn't a one room there was like uh three rooms yeah and you know six or seven senior engineers with you know back then they had senior engineers and assistants <laughs> um and eventually the assistants would move up into the engineering position so right um you know that was that's the way things worked and and it was an R&B studio. It was well known as R&B. Yeah. Who was managing it back then? Um, it was managed by Susan Planer, this oh, yeah. woman who we all love dearly, who yeah. passed away. Um, and it was owned by John Roberts and Joel Roseman. And they're the ones who financed Woodstock. Yeah. And so they needed a wow. place to mix the show. 
Right. So they opened this studio called Media Sound. That, that's what Tony Bon Jovi was doing. Exactly. And I, when I interviewed him, he talked about doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And Bob Clear Mountain went right from, you know, I think, uh, intern to engineer or assistant engineer right away. He was one of the early ones there to yeah. be mixing the show and stuff. And so that. It was It was an incredible group of people. I mean, the, the success rate of the engineers that came out of that studio is, is really quite impressive yeah. and so i was doing a lot of records and during the day we would we uh, recording commercials mm-hmm. you couldn't get any records during the day because all the musicians were getting paid double and triple scale yeah <laughs> so you know between nine and yeah. five is when we'd be recording at recording mixing and you know two days later you hear yeah. it on the radio yeah <laughs> and then um and from six o'clock to two o'clock we'd be making records. Right. And so we'd be doing double shifts. You know, and it just didn't matter. Seven days a week. It was, <laughs> I don't remember what a weekend felt like. It didn't matter yeah, yeah. because I was there to... Immerse. You know, and I started late. I was 25. Wow. When I got hired there because I'd been on the road with a band and I decided I didn't want that kind of life. And <laughs> so I'd already been out of college for a couple of years. Yeah. So um, we're doing a lot of records and I was, you know, you, you learn by starting to do overdubs. And right. we all, and I did Sesame Street. No <laughs> so way. Was, that was like the way you had to start off being able to do Sesame Street because it was all live and there was a yeah. you know room full of like maybe like 10, 10 musicians and we were going right to four track mono yeah. and live. So you, that's how you really cut your teeth on how to you know, record that. And Fred Christie was the senior engineer who mm-hmm. you know, really mentored me and many others. So... <laughs> you know, eventually there was a lot of R&B coming in and, yeah. and I was working with Luther during the day all the time, Luther Vandross, nice. recording because he was the top jingle singer at the time. Really? He was doing all the main ads, what kind McDonald's, of, what, yeah. Coca-Cola, I don't know, you name it, he was the lead on that. He could just nail it. And he, well, <laughs> he was beyond belief, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was a, all, the, all the same group of backing background singers for all these dates you saw them in the day you saw them at night same with the musicians you'd see will lee in the day you'd see him again at night see paul schaefer in the day alan schwartzberg yeah um babbitt bob babbitt when Mm -hmm. he moved from detroit to new york after motown moved to california yeah great great musicians george wardenius i mean you know and and um it the list goes on and on i think i think i was one of the first to record marcus miller at media when he was first breaking out <laughs> yeah. you know right and great great arrangers so it was yeah. it was just a wealth of beautiful great music mm. and and we were doing record after record day in day out yeah. and it was mostly all r&b van mccoy was there for a long time and right fat back band yeah you know. man and tony bon jovi was mm. doing all the you know the big motown funk right stuff of course exactly um and then, you know, one day, this producer, Italian producer, Fred Petrus, was producing this new, you know, act. I mean, it, it was a band made in the studio, so it was just a yeah. name, you know. Yeah. If you became successful, then you'd put a band together. <laughs> Send them on the road. Yeah. Yeah, TV. <laughs> um, and, and they were at Power Station, and they were having a tough time getting the right mix or the right they couldn't find the right vocalist either right. they were going through all these different auditioning and the contractor there 
she recommended to them that they come to Media Sound and I uh, I record and mix, you know, the next batch of singers. And it was it was Luther Vandross actually. Yeah. So he came by and Luther was ridiculous and he was holding it on <laughs> the the lyrics, you know, to uh, Glow of Love and Searching. And yeah. he goes, oh yeah, and he, we run it down in the studio for a little yeah. bit. He goes, okay, and he goes out there and he's literally holding it, yeah, singing, and that was the pass. On both Glow of Love and Searching, yeah. that was the pass. Yeah. It was just crazy good. And I mixed it, and they loved the mix. And from yeah. that point on, I was doing all, everything for change. The, yeah. This was the band change. And then I went yeah. to Italy to do BBQ and Little Macho. I mean, it was just yeah. on and on with this wow. guy. So through that is how Luther, hearing what I had done, record him and, and uh, mixing the, the change record that he asked me to record and mix his own album that right. he was doing that he was doing on the weekends yeah um you know they were all demos right master demos really yeah yeah and uh, you know we slowly started getting you know two songs we do two songs a weekend and three and then four and then they finally he's got paying them all. out of pocket he's, yeah. He's saying, yeah. All, yeah he's paying the whole thing yeah and nobody's really interested you know i think he's shopping it around but nobody's at the time was yeah. really interested but of course finally he does it was Arista, and of course, then the Never Too Much song came out, and boom, <laughs> and, and that was really the beginning for me. Yeah, um, it was. I'd already heard a couple of things that I'd done on the radio, but when it was, this was it. This was the first record right. that I completely mixed and recorded from soup to nuts. Right, right. So of all the records that that come out, and it's still one of my favorite. Yeah, you know, it's, it just feels timeless, and, yeah. and Luther is. A rising star. I mean, he, David Bowie had used him I was for just thinking Young Americans about that. and right. stuff. And here he is now. He comes out on his own and right. he's singing like no one else. Right. You know, nobody's doing yeah. that style. You know, so, it, seems, it seems out of nowhere. But then you talk about all this, all the work in the studio for both of you and yeah. working together. And then, you know, when it finally hits, there's all the pre-roll. You know. Yeah. And and so right about that time, I was also working for Robert Wright, who was at RCA. Uh, I was mixing, doing a lot of remixing, and I was um, remixing the Hall & Notes singles, No mm -hmm. Can Do, One-on-One, yeah. um, -on -one, and, and those were becoming very successful. Were they remixes for rate, made for radio? Was yeah, the they, were, they were. that's what you would hear on the radio, because right. they were like R&B, but they would also move over to the pop charts. Right. And, so I did two or three of those, Your Imagination also. Mm. And so the word started really getting out, you know, because of the success of those, those records. And, yeah. you know, it just slowly kept going into the point where I got a call to mix a couple of songs for the Stones right. on Steel Wheels. Oh, right. And then I ended up mixing pretty much the whole album and right. in England at Olympic Studios where nice. they had all their big hits. And, right. Oh, that was a cool room. Yeah. So... You know, it, it's it started R and B and then went it went to an R and B base by with with the Stones. You know, right. that's all R and B. But then there was the rock, and then I started yeah. moving more towards rock. And right, you know, it, I over the years I really I wanted to spend five or six years on each different style. Sure, <laughs> you know, I was in no rush, but I also yeah. realized I had my hand at production for a couple of years when I was in England. Yeah, or spending a lot of time in England. But it, it didn't feel natural to me because I wasn't a songwriter. Right. I felt to me a great producer needs to be a songwriter. Some, some Otherwise, you know, you end up just 
you need to be dependent on a self-sufficient band who knows how to <laughs> fix their own stuff and write their own bridge and right yeah and so i was like you know the best i can be is always dependent on that and right. and the great producers i work with are either helping write or rewriting the lyrics or they're, they're just way more musical like someone thought, like arif martin like changing charts and exactly you know, and i go that, yeah. that's if i really want to be at the top of my game yeah I'll never get there this way. I've never written a song in my life, and it yeah. is never going to happen. On the other hand, I really love to mix. And yeah. so I slowly, you know, I did a couple of years of production. I said, all right, enough of that. Okay, I tried it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see the writing on the wall. And recording, I loved, I used to just love recording, you know, the basics, mm -hmm. and the rhythm section, the horns, the strings, everything. But my love was truly mixing almost yeah. from the get-go it was yeah. something that just kind of came naturally to me which nothing in my life up until that point ever kind of <laughs> came naturally to me i was mr average yeah, you know, yeah. it was kind of depressing you know, totally because i didn't That's... have ambition but i always felt like gosh is average is the best i can oh, get oh man that's funny and and mixing just you know it didn't come around easily i didn't I, yeah. I didn't hear compression for the first two years i was at media sound yeah so i used to go to you know they'd switch like give me the la2 it nah give me the 1176 instead and i was yeah. like who cares i, I don't hear any difference between those <laughs> and, I'm, and i'm thinking well that's uh -oh. not a good sign is it yeah <laughs> you, know? you gotta train yourself to hear it I, and then eventually something happened you know when yeah. you're in there day in yeah. day out um one day you just go oh I hear the difference. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. I, I, I'll have a career in this. <laughs> and, but there was something about just mixing. And, and, and I got to say, one of the things was that I was in a band for two years mm -hmm. on the road and I really missed leaving the feeling of the band. Mm -hmm. you, there's nothing better than when you're on stage, you got a crowd yeah. who's loving you and you're playing as one. You're just, you're, the show's great. Now, granted, we were just a cover band, yeah. but cover band or no band, you know, or your own stuff, it, it just felt great. And I missed that part, but I knew I had to leave this life. Yeah. And so I actually imagine in my head, because I missed it so much that when I was mixing, I was mixing live. I was, I was, I was yeah. performing. Yeah. Like yeah. I became the marionette puppeteer you know right right and then i always had like this crowd in my head i would imagine you know that they were like oh, they're excited you know? yeah yeah and and it when i go back and listen to those mixes early on it always felt like i was performing you know it right. was felt live on stage kind of because i i wanted to be back right. on stage not observing was a lot of it manual mixing too like always. hands on oh sure yeah. all the luther the aretha yeah. records yeah um you know, of course, Luther led to Aretha because Luther was producing Aretha. Right. So that's how I got to do the Aretha nice. records. So, it, it, you know, that approach turned out to work great because it, as a drummer, I knew all my cues for manual mixing. I didn't really mm -hmm. need anybody to help me, you know, maybe right. turning on and off a snare if there was something, you know, a right. reverb or something. Right. But otherwise, I really loved just i'd yeah. stand up and mix right you know? right I'd be with luther and all the boys in the room you know and i'd just be jamming and we yeah. all be moving right they were mixes were a performance you they know, were and the analog and, days and, yeah. and it was such a great feeling because when you nailed it 
you know, and I always print each pass that I did. And I never wanted to stop in the middle. I never edited. It had really? to be a performance from beginning to the end. Yeah, yeah. It had to be. Just, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to cut it and go, oh, let's cut four of my mixes. No, right. no, no. It had to be like one great pass. Man. Yeah. It's got to feel right. It just had know? to feel right. And that way I knew how to build. Yeah. Well, how did, at that point in time, like, how many people did you even know that were basically almost full-time mixers there were yeah. very very few at clear mountain maybe yeah so in our studio there was there would have been tony mm -hmm. well you know nobody was quite full-time right. we were just getting bands and artists were bringing their work to media sound right for these guys to mix it and right. and you know it, and they were there were a group of us i mean there was michael delug harvey goldberg mm -hmm. um alan varner and then, of course, you know, Clear Mountain and Tony and, yeah. and uh, uh, St. Germain. Oh, yeah. And, um, oh, there's another one that will come to me. I see his face. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, you know, everybody had a different, different approach and a different sound. Right. And it was great to watch. I mean, yeah. such personalities. Yeah, you know, yeah. And the ones that, that had the most personalities really just grew. <laughs> and, and you could see that they didn't have to have great talent, although they did. Yeah. It's just that artists were so endeared to them because they loved being in the studio all day long with them, while others who didn't become successful had an attitude. You're right. And even though they were really good, nobody really wanted to be with them. And they went on and did other things. You that's, know? that's one of the, the sometimes untold story of studio life is that if you're not a good hang... Who's going to sit in a room with you for 10 or 12 hours? Yeah. I mean, yeah. some of the times that when I've gotten, obviously over the years, to meet a lot of folks that have had long careers, you know, I think maybe like a good example is the first time I met Ed Cherney, we were just hanging out somewhere and like, this guy's funny. I'm having a good time. Well, wouldn't it be nice to make a record with him? <laughs> and that's how it is. Yeah. I mean, not that he isn't a talented engineer and producer, obviously, but... Yeah. I mean, but. the story I wanted to tell you, and I can't believe I blocked it in because I see yeah. his face. Yeah. Uh, Diamond, uh, Godfrey Diamond. Oh, there yeah. We go. You want to talk about, you know, this guy had the rap of life, right? He was hanging out in the club. He's just like, I don't know, 17 or something. Yeah. And he runs into Lou Reed. Yeah. And, you know, Lou Reed decides, hey, I'm, I'm going to make a record. I'm going to go in the studio. Um, you know, and he goes, and, Godfrey goes, oh, well, I'm an engineer at Electric Lady. He had just been hired, yeah. an electric, you know, engineer there. You know, he goes, oh, all right. Well, we'll book the time tomorrow. We'll start tomorrow. So he goes, okay, cool. He goes, see you later. You know, see you tomorrow. And then he runs back and he goes, how do you patch? How do you do this? How do you do that? And he basically, you know, he basically yeah. just managed to get i think his assistant may have known more than him but possibly but he pulled it off and nobody knew the wiser and he was a great hang and the record sounded good yeah and he was like that all the time where he could just you know he was a a great salesman i mean he delivered sometimes an artist would come in with a lot of attitude yeah and they'd say you know this is the shit you know and then they'd go for you go you know i think i can save this <laughs> <laughs> and go, what? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? 
and then and he would and it yeah. would really be so much better but it was just yeah everybody had a different approach to working with a client and that was the great learning experience it wasn't just about learning how to make a great snare drum you know sound from five different guys but right how do you communicate that interpersonal communication mm -hmm. between yourself and the artist or the producer or a room full of people who are trying to control the room yeah. and you know like tony always controlled there was every every one of these guys yeah always controlled the session and and you could see the guys who didn't yeah and the band would just take over and it's like it's like suddenly who was flying the plane absolutely yeah i've seen those sessions before <laughs> what what part what's your personality that you bring besides your enthusiasm and the concept of the live i, I try i think i try to stay pretty transparent but it, the emotion yeah of a mix i think i really can bring out the dynamics and the and the heart of a song yeah and and, and to really build it up so you can you can feel when that chorus hits if a song is sad I can make it really, really sad. And, and if yeah. it's happy, I can make it really happy. And if it's angry, I'll make it like super angry. Yeah. So so those emotions I think are very much part of my personality and and it, it comes out that way, but I'm pretty transparent of it. You know, I, I don't put a big stamp yeah. on it. It's just that maybe the way the vocal comes across might be similar. You're like, oh, the way I feel when I hear this right. song. Right. I wonder if that's him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I, I listen to your mixes and I'm, I never think like, I don't think I've ever thought like, oh, that's a Brower mix. Right. You know, I'm Which just like, I hear the thing. music, <laughs> hear the expression. So it's like, that's it. That's a real, I think maybe that's sometimes a misunderstanding that, that uh, um, someone that's maybe not as immersed in this world would have is that the mixer is going to just stamp it. And maybe some people do. Well, there are. I mean, yeah. you know, you've seen where they all... <laughs> kind of have that same snare sound or the same yeah. this or the same that and yeah you know, i learned a long time ago how important it is to try and be timeless yeah and i produced a record cuddly toy for this guy roachford and a couple years or two three years later i'm listening to it and i was just shocked because it was so time stamped yeah yeah you know, the way the drums sounded and everything it was just so you can almost tell what month that snare was popular the, the you know? 80s had, had such a thing of that too though there was the technology well, was shifting and yeah and this, techniques were passing around and yeah you know and for me this was like mid 80s when this happened <laughs> the ams reverb on the snare and stuff right, right? and i was just like i, I was really mortified for some reason yeah. you know? i was really embarrassed that it, it just i remember it's such a great song but the sound just didn't it, well, this it was okay, right? Yeah, but yeah. it it time stamped it, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I really have to work to try and be as timeless in the mix as possible, still yeah. keeping everything current, but not yeah. give it such a, you know, this was what was hot then and it isn't now, you know, that kind of thing. Speaking of current, I mean, one of the things I've thought about a lot as mixers is like, the bandwidth is is, is wider. The yeah. frequency bandwidth, right? Yeah. I mean, think about when you were mixing a Luther's record or something. You're mixing ostensibly for radio and vinyl, right? Not really. Was I never it? quite thought that way. Or well, the... I, I was always thinking as hi-fi as possible. <laughs> That's probably good. <laughs> yeah, you know. But of course, you know, then I'd give it to Greg Calby, and he would 
do what he had to do on vinyl, yeah. but he, you know, he didn't have to do too much. I knew my limitations because I was using a compressor. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Sometimes too much back then, but it, mm -hmm. but it certainly kept back then. It was great. R and B was tight, you know. Yeah. So I always yeah. used a thirty three six oh nine into a couple of Poltex and on the and whole mix, on the whole mix, and yeah. that was that worked great <laughs> until somebody you know came along and wanted way more bottom end. Right. You know, and that was actually on the Freeway of Love record and Michael Narada Walden. Right. And he wanted way more bass. Yeah. So as I added more bass, Aretha disappeared. Right. <laughs> I was using the stereo I just, compressor. I was just thinking about and, how and that works. Yeah, bring Aretha yeah. back up. Yeah. And I go, oh, okay. And then the bass come back. They go, hey, what'd you do with the bass? You know, I was <sighs> like, ah. It's, yeah. It was one of those nauseous feelings where you're like, yeah. I'm up against the wall. I may not get out of this. Yeah. You know, it was one of the first really frightening moments where I was like, <laughs> I don't, what am I going to do? Is it possible I'm going to fail at this? Right. Um, but Man. that is what led to multibus compression. Right. That's, that's because a good segue. I was just going to ask you <laughs> when you started working in that way. Well, it, I survived it. Yeah. Right? I still have a hard time listening to that song. Yeah. Because I, I remember physically the fear yeah. that I had mixing this. Right. <laughs> and after that, I was thinking, will this happen to me again? I said, to myself, it probably will. Yeah. And if it does, um, what am I going to do? I need to prepare myself. And um, I said, well, what do I do? Basically, you're mixing in pre-compression, and then you're hitting the stereo compressor, and everybody's getting nailed yeah. at the same time. And these records that are starting to come out now have way more bottom end in it. And, of course, we all yeah. know that bottom end is what triggers the compressor. Right, the it just, top end. It tugs. It tugs, <laughs> you know. And so whoever's on top is going down too. Yeah. Right? So yep. we're That's... all going, you know. So yeah. do I keep bringing down, you know, the all the other faders into the, you know, and then but then yeah. you lose the glue. It was just this very, you know, just revolving one thing affecting the other. Right. I I just simply didn't know what to do, but I knew I never wanted to experience that again. <laughs> And it was just by fate that Frank Filippetti had just gotten a new console for some of the film work he was doing. It was an SSL 6000. So he's showing, so yeah, Frank Filippetti is showing me the new console that they've got in. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, I go, what is this? He goes, well, you know, you got three stereos here now. And I go, what good is three stereos? Who listen? There's no such thing. There's only one stereo. Yeah, like, but there's the output you know, of the console. And he goes, he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you you got three sub-stereos and, and they all, you know, sum to one. I go, yo, who cares? Why? And he goes, well, you got film, you got the music on one, you got the dialogue and you yeah. got the effects and stuff. You can separate everything within the film. And like, my head just went, Boing! Yeah. wait a minute, <laughs> separate? Mm -hmm. You know, I thought, wow, if I could separate the drums and bass or something from the vocal right i'd be set <laughs> this is the answer to my problem right and that began really the the transition slowly on um, little did i know that all this was actually now going to be mixing into compression it was now right. post compression right i didn't know any of this all i knew is this was 
my salvation right <laughs> you know? because if i could separate the drums or whoever the bottom end from other things and it took me a lot of months and months of figuring out you know what combinations work and yeah. then you could do and back then that that's strictly multi-bus compression but if i were to send the bass maybe to a and b right you know let's, let's say the b was just the drums and the bass and then a was going to be you know guitars and everything else and c might be vocals or something right. like that um maybe if i said the bass to a and b it sounded really cool now you're into parallel compression so right i didn't yeah. know any of i didn't know what any of these terms meant at all <laughs> nothing you know it wasn't commonly told. talked about like that way Not really yeah I mean, maybe people people were doing anything you can think of. People yeah. were always trying it somewhere, but but they could say parallel yeah. compression. That was Greek to me. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. Yeah, or certainly how it felt or it sounded. Yeah, you know? and why? Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> but some of the English guys would. Right. They'd have the stereo mix uncompressed, and then they'd bring in a very compressed mix, you know, underneath parallel. it that was parallel, and yeah. slowly, and you know, you get that excitement stuff going on. Yeah. The English did a lot of that. That's when they'd come visit, you know, when they started, when Media yeah. Sound and all the other studios opened up to outside engineers. Because, you know, for years, they were staffed. They were staffed. Yeah. Nobody came in. You, a producer, yeah. an artist wouldn't bring their own engineer. You go, go, right. go somewhere else. You're not coming in here. Yeah. You only use our guys. Right. So, you know, when I started witnessing that, it was quite quite exciting go wow look at that you know mm -hmm. do i remember them calling it anything i don't know i just remember going that's a cool idea <laughs> good trick <laughs> it's a good trick it's everything was a good trick yeah. <laughs> I, I i found mixing to be a lot harder because i was because i put compressors processing on a b and c mm -hmm. and so if i didn't have it loud enough nothing was going on on the compressors right. right across each sub stereo like on my drums right. and if i put too much in it got small right you know because it just <laughs> it was pulls grabbing, it all back. right yeah. and, and the choice of compressors i mean months and months of this stuff <coughs> but it, it's interesting that i i discovered that i could hear these ideas in my head like people who write songs in their heads, yeah. that'll never happen to me i don't know how <laughs> they do that or the arrangement they hear the whole arrangement in their head right yeah That'll never happen. Yeah. But what would happen is I used to think, well, I'd be on my bike because at the time I was a bike racer. Yeah. So, you know, I was putting in a lot of miles a week. And Damn. and I would just imagine, well, let's see, what if I put the drums in this compressor and try this idea? And I could hear those ideas in my head, imagine, because I'd gotten to know my compressors and my EQs yeah. so well. You know what? I mean, it's yeah. like when you imagine, just, well, I need something with more urgency you know you can eliminate 99 percent, and yeah. then there's one that pops in your head you or you can look know. at all your toys and you can scan you, them and oh, suddenly you go boom that one you'll just right? know you'll just know right and so yeah. little did i realize that well i could actually do i could hear imagine a certain let's say a rickenbacker bass and let's see what yeah. that sounds like if it's an la2a or it's in this and this and that yeah. so a lot of that development would happen in my head and then i'd come back into the studio and i'd see if it worked if yeah. i was actually hearing the right thing you know if i was totally. fine if i yeah. wasn't i'd be like oh okay yeah and then somebody put a, a name on it well it's multi-bus compression right man and then i cut that i kept that term until it no longer applied because i started using quickly you know parallel and then send right. return right you know right. but i'd been doing this almost 10 years before your article
Right, right. At I knew that, that point, yeah. I had had enough success that you know people were interested. in What are you doing? Yeah, that's different. <laughs> Do you still work in that fashion now? Absolutely. Yeah. And then it it, it extended to not only A B C. You know, like B was my drums and bass generally. Yeah. C were my guitars. Yeah. And A would be anything sustaining. A was what I originally mixed in my thirty three six oh nine and going yeah. to the Poltex. Yeah. But that at that time that would be all my vocals, all keyboards, yeah. organs, strings, horns, right. you know, anything that was sustained. Non-percussive. Or, yeah. Yeah. Then when I eventually got the SSL 8000 mm. at Sony, when I moved over to Sony Studios, yeah. that had four. Oh, right. <laughs> so yeah. So like... You know, so then I was like, oh, a fourth one. You know, so yeah. I said, like, well, now I think I'll use the fourth one as like a spreader. So that had a spreading kind of compressor on it. Okay. And then when I moved to the 9000, you had four stereos, four sub-stereos plus the desk stereo. So that was five. So then I could choose between processed and non-processed. Right. Uh, Maybe the 8000 did that too. I don't remember. But that's when I started using more and more of of letting the transients through. So I'd have the processing... You know, let's say the kick was going through B, but then I just hit the stereo bus too. Right. And now you're getting the combinations. Right. And so to this day, I still have A, B, C, D. You know, this yeah. is this is A, and I've got yeah. more gear in the back. That's Pultec. Yeah. And then B is the stressors, the stressors going into the Avalons. Right. <laughs> C is the Pendulum Audio ES8. Yeah. And then D is this, the you know, Edward the compressor. It's oh, a spreader. Yeah. Right. And oh when you say spreader with a compressor, how, how, how is it? It's just how got you... a width control on it, right? And oh, really? I just have it on is it sort of all an the MS? way at 100, 100. It's just taking everything a little yeah. bit on the right, moving to the left, a little left on the right. Yeah. It just, it just okay. you feel this spread, yeah, and, yeah. which I use just for backing vocals and certain things. Certain things I just yeah. wanted to go a little wider. Yeah. This was right about the time of, right before Coldplay, a, my yeah. close friend David Kahn mixed vocals lead vocals by actually compiling them through four or five different sounding compressors Mm -hmm. i just found that intriguing i was like (laughs) because his vocal sound was always so fat and big but the meter didn't like kill right right right. and at this point i'd already you know gone pretty much as far as i could with what i had done and i had a million options that's what was so great about the multi-bus compression approach you could always just get yourself out of any trouble and width and depth and right. you know by by going this approach. Just sort of like reassigning things. Yeah, or, just or like well, you. you know, I'm I want a little more level. I'll say you know instead of trying to bring the fader up, you'd yeah. send it to one more thing. Right, you know, it'd be C, and C was like really <laughs> shimmering and stuff. Huh. It was so much yeah. fun. But then along comes you know this other idea, and I was like, so I played with that for a while, and then eventually. I didn't have the lead vocal going to A, B, C, D anymore. It was mm. separate from all of that. Right. I'd send it to four different sounding compressors. One was the Fairchild 666. Another one was my Gates. Another one was the 1176. <coughs> yeah. Another one was the Distressor. And like this was going through all these. Yeah, it's going like, to send. And then just... I, on the return, I would, I would form the vocal sound. Right. Because each one sounded different. One was kind yeah. of head head sound another one yeah, was throaty yeah. another one was right. urgent 
right? So oh, and then blend. I have the distressor on crush. So if I wanted a little bit, you know, I'd sneak in a little yeah. bit of that. So and you're so you blending end up with all a, those back right, to one signal. Right, and I would EQ a little bit. Yeah. And then you'd end up with this really incredible vocal sound. And right. then I'd have them all with tone. They'd all compress at 3 dB, for example, right. the same amount. And they'd all return with the same level. Right. So when I'm pushing the vocal, because it's all I'm mixing, I'm sending the vocal into these compressors. Right. They're not pre. Right. Right. So right, I, right. So I would find a sweet spot in these compressors and then I would bring them all back. So they would all be compressing about the same, unless one yeah. was crushing and right, right. 1176, maybe I had it on a British setting, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually you would, you know, oh, I also would use the Federal too, which right. is like this mid range, crazy, crazy <laughs> sound. Right. And so th that combination could just turn a vocal that was kind of dull and uninteresting into just a vibrant yeah. vocal that didn't sound compressed. It just sounded right. big. <laughs> Were you still using the, the uncompressed original signal parallel nope. against that? Just no, all different that was it. That yeah, all yeah, you're gotcha. hearing is a return of those four ah, or five compressors. Okay. Gotcha, yeah. And I'm sending, as I'm mixing, instead of mixing the returns, mm -hmm. right, which would then be in pre-compression, right, because yeah. they're already compressed and I can move them up and down. Right. I would be mixing into them. So I would find that sweet spot. Right, okay, right. You know, where they start to react. Where they would be reacting just beautifully. Yeah, yeah. Right? Man. And I never look back. <laughs> you're not then, still using your ears, are you? When you're oh, mixing? Oh, yeah, they're right here. No, I mean your oh, real ears. Oh, my ears. E-A-R. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good... I know what you mean now. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I need to. It just kind of feels, you know, yeah, more yeah, than really. hearing. It's like, oh, this feels better. Right, but... One of the things I've been fighting against, I did a lecture about this the other day at AS, and I'm fighting against it in the magazines. I want people to understand you have to keep listening. you, you got to learn things to record and to mix and do all the work we do, but you've got to keep listening all the time and, and critically listening and learning how to build those skills up. Oh, absolutely. You know, and people seem like they want to go and, and see, especially like lately with mix engineers, there's more of a, a cult of following the mix engineers or whatever with people that are aspirational and they're like they're taking everything too verbatim almost like you still got to listen to how you do something if i listen to you right now and i go home and i'm mixing a record i can't just blindly apply what you just told me i have to sit there and go yeah. is this working for me well interestingly i stay away from talking technique yeah i mean i teach this seminar mixed with the masters which mm -hmm. i started with Victor and, yeah. and Maxime 10 years ago. Right. Um, and during that week, I, I unfortunately have to spend some time explaining the, what's now called browerize because it, it, it you know, I had the TM. It, yeah. Because it, it was actually, it was, it was guy from, you know, from Coldplay that came up with that. Term. Nice. I, tr I have to explain technically what goes on, but it's, I say, look, this is just a tool. Why am I using it? Because I'm trying to get an emotion out. You know, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to, and, and different colors, and and this is the process. And you're mixing into compression, and you know, it just yeah. helps me really, really bring out the four or five emotions of the happiest, the sadness, the anger, you know, or yeah. the club where the vocal yeah. isn't really anything more than one of the instruments, and it's right. all very, very physical. And so this approach is such a great tool because you can use any combination. And there are times when it sounds too big and expensive 
and I go right back to just A, which is my knee. I go back into my traditional way, which is the knee and the poltex. Right, right. You know, I've been in a situation like that with with John Mayer, where I was mixing something, mm -hmm. and he came and he goes, "Wow, that sounds that sounds great. It sounds radio ready, but you know, it just doesn't sound honest enough." <laughs> and I was right, like, sure, "Ah, like right." I removed everything yeah. from all the other, and I went right back to my traditional way with everything went to A, which is a Neve and the Poltec. Yeah. And even the vocal was in my original LA3A. That's how I started. Oh, you know, yeah. Right? Vocal would be in an LA3A. And he came back in 15 minutes later because yeah. I knew right away. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, shit, you're right. Yeah. You know, what <laughs> happened to the heart of it? Right. right. The honesty of it. That's interesting. And again, it wasn't about the sound. It was about how was it, how was this song projecting? And mm -hmm. it just wasn't simple and honest enough. Yeah. And I went back and did that. And he was like, Oh, yeah. how'd you do that? Right. I go, <laughs> well, I went back to the basics, but the great thing about <laughs> right. my approach is that you have everything. Yeah. You can, you know, it just allows you to, it's a great, great tool. Right. And if you're not creative, it's still, it sits there just as a tool. Yeah, <laughs> you don't right. know what to do with it. You know, but it's allows yeah. somebody creative to just get as creative right. as they want. I, I told you a couple of years ago about my client that, that you know, he, he <laughs> hires me to mix a song and he right. goes, can you do the Brower technique? And I'm like, that doesn't make any, I mean, I'm like, that works for Michael. But, yeah. but I'm like, I've never applied that. Yeah. Like I know what you've I've read, you know, obviously I edited the article yeah. where, where you got interviewed before, but you know, and I've talked to you in person and I've listened to your records, but I'm like, that's just not the method I've built up. Like it would be a mistake for me to try try to learn on your exactly for you to spend or, or vice versa. Yeah, you know, I would spend eight hundred dollars today making me try to sound like someone else. That is that just the worst. I it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I remember yeah. a manager I had who was telling me to, well, you know. You know, you know, what you need to do now is you need to sound more like Chris or you need to sound more like uh, I don't know, whoever was, you know, hot yeah. in that period of time. And I was just like, holy shit, man, I've been spending all these years working up my own sound. Yeah. And you're telling me now that that's no good. So I should just drop that and try to clone another somebody else. I was like, so I fired him. Yeah, because I didn't know what I didn't know what other choice I had because no, I, I was know like what maybe you know if if I'm in, if I'm in my sound is really that un unwanted, you know then uh, you know Send maybe me out the pasture. I'm, I'm out so maybe I'll take a chance and maybe I don't believe him and maybe I'll yeah. find somebody else. Oh my gosh! But you imagine I know that yeah. feeling. It's an like, awful, awful feeling. You know, you could have turned around and say that's cool, but you know, can you please write? like led zeppelin because yeah. this is kind of like you know that's what i'd could, like to mix today it could be better yeah you know you could be better if can you sing like stevie wonder <laughs> do you find have you worked on a number of records where you are uh, in like a shootout with other mixers that you sure. don't know about we all do that yeah you know i always looked at that as you know high noon remember the movie with gary cooper high <laughs> yeah. Noon? yeah yeah and he's there and he's got the gun i was always yeah. like okay it's high noon damn Let's it do it you know i'm killing it I'm going to kill it. Yeah. I'm getting this gig. How different is that than if you know the record's just coming to you, that's the way it's going to be, I'm mixing it unless something goes horribly wrong versus I'm doing one mix to see if I'm appropriate for this album or such? Well, one's a little bit more relaxing than the other. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> uh, but 
I guess the one where it's a shootout, you have to be as much yourself as possible. Yeah. And you don't second guess. You just do what your interpretation is of that. And right. you're hanging in the wind there. It's, yeah. <laughs> you're, that's it. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't mean that your mix is any worse or any better than somebody else's, but the band's going, well, that's the direction we like. Right, right. So you're going to get four different mixes, yeah. and the band says, "That's that's they're all good, but this is the guy, that's who we want to be on this Something record. Something about it, yeah, yeah, for them. I've won a bunch, and I've lost some. <laughs> exactly. You know, and you just go, okay. Given the kind, you were working on an SSL, which is, is obviously pretty recallable, besides the outboard gear. You know, you can write all those things down, et cetera, et cetera. You know, recalls in the old days, you know, 10, 15 years ago were a lot of work. They're a little easier now, but you're still using outboard gear. Revisions and how many and, and I mean, like when you first started having to do mixes where they were not just signed off of on when they walked out the door. Yeah. You know, how did you be deal with that? The First of yeah. all, the artist used yeah. to attend the mix. Right. And there then, was a time when you'd mix, they come in, they make comments. And yeah. then that was the last of it. Right. Their comments were final. Right. And everybody was happy. And I used to call every, I used to name every master mix Yogi after a friend of mine, <laughs> Yogi Horton, who was a great drummer who passed nice. away. And I dedicated awesome. every mix to him. Yeah. That's and awesome. so it was a master mix. And so yeah. when it was a master, it was Yogi. If I really right. disliked the song, I'd called it M5 or something. Yeah. Right? But, yeah, you know, out of respect to Yogi, I always called the master. And that was it. Yeah. And then maybe sometimes they'd say, you know what, let's come back in. And and on the Neve, I basically, I they I guess they they drew, you know, the pictures of each yeah. of each fader EQ and, and stuff. Yeah, and where the fader can basically I would just take, you know, the my mix and then I, I had recorded it, so I would just go back and mix that song, and then I'd be like, oh, my God. You know, then I'd A-B it yeah. against my mix. It'd right. be so close because I was hearing it the same way. Right. <laughs> so those were great days. And then yeah. then it started when Pro Tools came out. Yeah. You know, people suddenly realized that they had more options and more ways to delay the final verdict. Yes. And they would delay and delay and delay. And then it yeah. got to the point where... You know, you'd do the mix, and then they'd, they'd say, okay, um, we're going to re need to recall that. And they'd come back with a, you know, legal-size yellow pad and, and just get really detailed. Yeah. I mean, to the point where you go, all those tiny little details, they would, there would be a point you listen to the mix, and you go, what is this mix? Right. What am I listening to anymore? The focus is all gone. Right. And they do all this stuff, and then they, you know, you go, Let's listen back to the first mix and everybody be moving. Right. And then you'd listen to this, you know, four hours of changes and nobody's moving in the room. Yeah. And you go, well, you, you know, you lost, you lost the focus on the, on the record. Right. You got detailed. You're starting to listen to your own instruments and stuff. And it's just, you've lost your way. Do you find yourself trying to counsel people a lot with this? It, you you know you do your best. Yeah. It's to the point now that nobody cares. <laughs> How nobody, so? These these are the comments. Do yeah. them right because right. they don't even attend anymore. Right, right. Here are the you know here are the comments. Yeah. The only thing I mean, 
I'm I'm fine to you know to do all that. Right. What I what I find a little bit different, yeah. I'd say that isn't that that's people don't say thank you. Right. They send you notes. <laughs> you know, like how I about, know this feeling very well, Michael. How, how about <laughs> I love this mix. Great mix. Yeah. Here are my comments, as yeah. opposed to here are my comments. Right. Like, we are mixers. Yeah. We are putting the emotion of this song. We are putting our heart into it. We do care. Um, yeah. Everybody likes a little bit of a little pat on the back. Right. Right. I mean, when you're producing someone and you're all together, you go in and go, man, that's a great vocal, even if you knew you could get further maybe later. That's it. You, you keep- know, I mean, let's encourage people. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I, I'm used to it. Yeah. I don't particularly like it. Yeah. You know, I, I think artists and producers should just take a little minute to say thank you. This yeah. is great. I mean, don't don't they get encouraged by by the same thing for them? You know, wow, yeah. great song. Or just say, <laughs> hey, I noticed in your song that uh, blah blah blah. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. Don't you like or or you know when they're performing it people yeah. happen to applaud after they play a song. Hopefully. You know, hopefully. <laughs> you know what does that mean? How yeah. about if so if people went, "Hey, you know, you know your guitar was a little out of sync there in the second chorus." <laughs> <laughs> the pretzel dance. Say someone what? called it. Everyone in the crowd's got their arms crossed. Yeah, yeah, I heard exactly. someone call it the pretzel dance. That's it. <laughs> like, but again, the fact yeah, that yeah. that maybe 10% of people show up to my sessions now uh, right. for the mix. Right. And which is makes it the whole process a little bit more difficult because I always sat down and I discuss the mix, mm-hmm. the rough mix yeah, before yeah, getting yeah. started. I go what, what they like, what they don't like. Exactly. So yeah. what do you like about this rough? What don't you yeah. like? Because that gives me a, obviously a lot of, you know, yeah. I, I've got three hours yeah. to mix this song. The learning curve is going to be pretty quick. Right. So the more they tell me, the more I've got my arsenal, the more I'm going to. Yeah nail it right off the bat because i'm going to keep the things they like to the point where you now have to imagine yourself having that conversation well michael what do you like about the rough mix and what don't you like about the rough mix okay now fix you know fix what you don't like and keep what you do like i used to i went from demanding that Mm -hmm. the artist show up then that stopped working right (laughs) right and then they go well they they, they don't have the budget to come into new york yeah okay or they're they're actually rehearsing now or they're actually on the road oh yeah so i go okay all right well then i demand (laughs) that we do facetime yeah so i would do facetime and at the time there was streaming came out nice cast came out with this stream right it's no longer but i used that right up until you know until they stopped you could be playing it and talking about it. So yeah. right. So the you know obviously the video was, was, which came later. I think the audio was yeah the the audio was behind the video mm-hmm. because I was streaming nice cast and I was doing FaceTime or right. yeah you know yeah. Um, so you know they'd say stop and I'd stop and then they would on their end it would stop like four or five seconds later yeah <laughs> <laughs> they go, i told you to stop yes there's a buffer man it's, yeah it's right <laughs> but that way it was like them being in the room right right and that worked great because then they could do their set of comments there might right. be more comments later but you really nailed the the 90 percent of how they wanted to hear it mm-hmm. so that if if they had that kind of thing where 
the rough wasn't quite indicative or they were very, very particular. And we're talking about those, you know, their vision is very particular mm -hmm. and yet they don't want to be in the room with you. You know, it's, then the next hard. best thing was like, okay, well then, you know, at this time, wherever you are in the world, yeah. <laughs> we're going to, you know, I'm going to have the mix ready. We're going to go online. I'm going to play you the mix. So you have time to live with it. And mm -hmm. then in a half an hour, we're going to hook up and we're going to make changes in real time. Right. And that worked for a long time. Did you do stuff like that with Coldplay initially or bands like that? Uh, Chris always showed up. The band showed really? up. Oh, nice. Until yeah. there was a point. Yeah. And then on, I think it was Viva La Vida. On Viva La mm -hmm. Vida, Chris was back in, in England. Yeah. And so we would FaceTime, you know, at a certain time every day. Yeah. It was usually right after bath time for the kids, <laughs> for him, <laughs> for Chris. You got to take care you know? of your kids, yeah. You know, so yeah. Chris is, okay, I just put him to bed, you nice. know, and then, uh, <laughs> then we get online and we would, you know, work yeah. for two or three hours. And, sure. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I did that. I, same kind of thing with, with John mayor mm -hmm. you know some of that but you know they tried to attend but if they couldn't yeah. they didn't so when when you moved in here um i noticed there's not an ssl right you mentioned that to so, me the other day so yeah when i moved out i was thinking during the last year and a half i set up the recall room the yeah. recall room was a hybrid so i had i had the basics of my analog gear duplicated mm -hmm. right so i had two consoles i mean two racks yeah. with the abcd going on right like basically the same gear right and a little mastering rack like like the you know the, i had the, a shadow and yeah. i had the germaniums and stuff right? right so i had and i had the clarifonic on top and, nice. and i had the chandler eq i had basically all of that that i had in the main room and yeah. then everything else was just i was using plugins instead of my ear Right. If I really wanted EAR and I was mixing something in the high room, I would just through a tie line, I print it in. through there and pack yeah, it cool. back. <laughs> but I had a little artist mix. I had like two of them. Yeah. Right? So sixteen faders. I actually had one other set that we used that would just kind of for the VCA groups. Right. right? And I said, okay, I'm I'm gonna have to learn this because all my friends are already either hybrid or in the box right and the reason for that is because the because of recalls right really that's what led to it recalls <laughs> are like endless yeah you can't keep recalling a console yeah it's... you know after you know if if it's one day of comments and you can get i was fast you could get maybe three songs in a day that was a yeah. full day yeah um but there were no stems being made of that you know it was right. just it yeah. was it was you know but now they're like notes after notes like okay that doesn't work so that's when we had to start doing stems mm -hmm. so you had to do you know 40 passes and then you would make all the recalls off the all the passes yeah you know you didn't recall the console anymore it was right. just so inefficient so time intensive yeah yeah so i said look i gotta learn i'm gonna still keep analog i'm not gonna do in the box at least right. not yet yeah and so i'm just gonna replace the console and it was dreadful. I can tell you, I remember the times of getting up and just screaming, just so mad. I'd be starting to mix, you know, something and I would just feel like shit. It, it felt nothing like me. And I would just 
get up and i just leave and i go fuck this and then, <laughs> and then you know i go back i mean i already had something else i was mixing in the other room right. but you know i'm learning i'm putting i'm right. maybe trying to mix the same song in the you know in the hybrid room right and i couldn't i where's the sweet spot i know the sweet spot on a neve i know the sweet spot on an ssl right right where's the sweet you know this is like a mouse where's the sweet spot <laughs> yeah but because i have the abcd right that's i just need to get back into how where how far to up do i need to put the faders so i'm back in my sweet spot on my compressors because right. i don't I realize I don't need the console. And I'm not dependent right. on the console for the sound. Right. I'm dependent on my ABCD. Right. Which, you know, once I've found the cal, you know, I had to recal all the gear a little bit so that, mm -hmm. so they would kick a little bit sooner. It's definitely right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because I didn't, so I didn't have my faders all the way at the bottom or all the way at the top. Right. I still was able to have them where I, and you look at these faders right now from a song I'm mixing, right? They're really... all in the same normal spot. Yeah. Month after month. You know, yeah. there was a point where I go back and sit down and, and in one day, it was just a fear factor that I had. Yeah. You yeah, know, I'm, sure. I'm really, really just, I had no confidence in this. Yeah. And, but I knew I had to yeah. get it. And so I'd continue mixing it, you know, and then I'd say, okay, I'm done. You know, I'd get up and just screw this and leave. Yeah. And then I go, no, you can't do that. So I'd sit down and sit down. And one day I mixed a song and it just, wow, it felt like me again. And I, yeah. I didn't have to think, you know, when, when I mix, I don't think. I, right. just, I just go by impulse, I'm just feeling. It's just I'm moving. And... And here I was constantly thinking, and I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to do that. And, you yeah, know, I didn't yeah. know anything. So I was constantly being distracted from mixing to how to play this guitar. You know, it's like, yeah, a, it's, it's a new instrument. And I, yeah. and it's not instinctual yet. So that slowly, slowly over a year started to come because I just right. kept, kept at it, kept at it. And then finally, I, I mixed a song. There was a project, you know, just a small project. So it was actually a paying project. So I had to care, you know, and I had to deliver. Yeah. yeah. And, and it came out really, really good. And I found that I had more width, more clear depth, mm -hmm. and it went down further. Right. And I got there quicker. Like that bottom end was there a lot right. faster. So... You know, I tried to mimic the things that I do on the console with the way I double up a you know, bass, a multi-bass, and I do mm -hmm. a neck sound and a kind of right. a bass sound and a bunch of other things. Yeah, and yeah, totally. Same with the vocal, trying to yeah. learn how to do that with different compressors or plugins and stuff. Yeah. So it got to the point where I was like, shit, you know, this feels good. And the artist is happy, but I haven't done really anything on for a label yet. Yeah. And eventually it was a label thing and they're like super happy. And then the recall was so quick because I just hit a button. Oh man. Because I wasn't yeah. touching any of my hardware. Were you leaving everything like for your ABC kind of signal change Nothing. leaving them set? But I always left ABCD set anyway. Right. I never touch ABCD. Right, right. But, you know, it's all the other... the. EQs and everything. and even then I don't touch any of those. If I don't like that EQ, I'll use another EQ. Yeah, they kind of. I mean, I find myself using a lot of the same hardware settings, and I used to read about yeah mix engineers doing that, and I'd be, well, that seems like a cop out. Like, 
I hundred percent agree with you. But now I I look over and I'll be like, oh shit, yeah, no, release all the way fast, you know, like I just <laughs> set the eleven seventy six and I that yeah. same way almost every time. Yeah, I don't. I yeah. the only things that I touch here yeah. would be my reverbs and my sure. delays, right? Right, but that's but, easy to notate too. Exactly. You know, but all the EQs and the, my EARs yeah. and yeah, everything yeah. else here. Yeah. Or the, the Helios. It, I yeah. plug in the Helios. If it sounds good, I use it. If not, I'll try the data mix on the back. And if that's <laughs> yeah. not good, I'll, you know, I'll use I a mean, plug-in. It's always different music, but we're always trying to say, solve a lot of the same problems. Absolutely. You know, like and how do we keep the great, vocal great up? recording, yeah. right, then you don't have to use anything. And there's yeah. other ones where, yeah, you know, wow, thank God for plugins because I'll put Helios across everything. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Something, because it something. really needs something. Uh, what do you feel about the quality of the tracks you're being given to mix? And have you seen a general like shift of quality these days? Well, it or is it just really it just was a pen really, project project? Really, really bad. Yeah. About, I think, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Because you had engineers who had never recorded anything. Yeah. And so they're they're just you know everything is you know loops and synths and stuff and suddenly right. they're being asked to record something because right. you know they're really hot, right? But they've yeah. never they don't even know what a microphone does, right? Well, they do, but you know <laughs> they've never used one. The gain structure and suddenly the they're basics. doing drums. Yeah. We all know yeah. you got to be good to make drums sound good. That's yeah. going to be appropriate for the song as opposed to something that sounds like cardboard on yeah. all ten songs. Yeah. Drums are not easy to record. You know, drums <laughs> drums change from song to song because yeah. the song's different. Right. Always. And, you know, so that was a nightmare. Yeah. But I think it's gotten better and better because also the the transition of instead of my getting raw tracks, I'm getting stems. Right. Where they've come It doesn't to mean that I just put the stems up and go, that's that's good, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what and I learned this again over time, the same experience with you when somebody says, uh, you know, uh, I really like this rough mix. How come, you know, how come I don't have that reverb? Right. Well, you didn't give it to me. Right. Yeah. I go, he goes, well, why can't you just, you know, do the same thing? I go, well, how long did you spend getting that reverb? Right. Anyway, and how many reverbs did you go through before you found that one? What about all the effect on the guitar? I love this one where when we were recording guitars, which one did you use? The direct or the amp and the room that you spend hours on? You always use the amp, right? Yeah, if you, if right. you put a direct down, it was so, just a safety. So it's just a safety, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in the early days of Pro Tools or Stems, I'd ask for a session and they, they didn't give me, and all it was all done with plugins. They just give yeah. me the direct. Plink, plink. I go, what is that? You go, well, you know, you figure out. I go, what's the what's your ego issue here? He's yeah. like, this is not what the artist wanted. You spent hours on getting that guitar sound yeah. and you want me to mimic it off your direct? Yeah. Wait, what's wrong with you? you I've, know? Had, I've had people request that I do reamping for them. Yeah. And then they send me a list of all the the plugins that they saw like an amp farm or something like can we get a 69 plex marshall plexi and a ac30 and i'm like no no we can't I, afford that I'm, I'm mixing your record all right yeah, so mixing. that's when i started saying look you know don't give me a direct give me your processing yeah, yeah, yeah. i go it's not like i'm lazy i'm gonna start where you left off you're right. calling me yeah because 
you know, do you do you want a new string sound? Do you want a new vocal sound? Do you want a new yeah. backing vocal? Do you want a new guitar? Yeah. No. Are yeah. you happy with the sound you had? Yeah. <laughs> then give it to me that yeah, way. Yeah. Give me what you like. Yeah. Trust me, there's still a lot more to go. It's right. not like I'm putting your faders up and calling it a day. Like, oh, done. <laughs> right? So more and more I started yeah. requesting yeah. stems. Right. And um and thank goodness because it that's the way the world is right now. Yeah. What you get generally is the rough mix is a running master on Pro Tools. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They haven't put those faders down since the day they put them up. Right. There's a mix right? process it's a going mix, on. It's a mix in process. Yeah. And then when I get it, you know, quite often, it depends. I mean, I listen to the rough mix. I go, wow, this is really close. I came up with a term called Mai. M-A-I. <laughs> it's match and improve. That's good. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. quite often, yeah. you're going to match it and then... It's up to you, your creativity, to know what you need to improve. Right. You right. know, if it's only ten percent, well, what ten percent? Exactly. Because it can be the wrong ten percent, and they hate it, but they love right. everything about the their rough mix. Right. You know, and and more and more, I'm getting really, really good, consistent right. rough mixes, and it's up to me as a mixer to decide. Well, what am I going to change? Do you, do you get that gut feeling sometime initially where you're just like? What am I gonna do? This is... oh easily, yeah. With good and that's stuff. when I'm like, that's a definite, definite may I. Yeah, I yeah. am matching this sucker. Yeah, and then I'm gonna decide why did they come to me, and it could be five percent, but that five percent yeah. is all it needed, right? As opposed to trying to change twenty percent that it didn't need, <laughs> right? And then totally. they make you change it back to what it was. So yeah. it, that's where the experience comes in, and and recognizing what you keep, what you change. And you yeah. know what it is? It's always two things. Yeah. Low drums end. and vocal. Oh, man. Yeah, well. <laughs> and so if you improve the drums a little yeah. bit and you improve yeah. the vocal and you yeah. keep the, the balance of everything right? else in between the vocal and the drums, everybody's happy. So, right, to answer your question, so I thought, okay, <laughs> okay, you know, sorry, an hour <laughs> no, later. No, no, no. no so no. I thought, okay, if I'm yeah. going to move, yeah, I can't be That's bringing good. an SSL console, an analog console, that's going to come with all its age, yeah, all its heat, all and all its tech needs. Right, lots right? of tech needs. People, and, people, if you don't, if you've never dealt with running a studio with one of those, or have friends that deal with it, you don't know that it can be expensive just to maintain. Right. So if something blows, I stop. I got to wait for a tech. There's not going to be a tech on staff here, like yeah. an electric lady. Yeah, that's a luxury. It is. And I'm going to have to pay for it, whatever yeah. their hourly is. Yeah. I go. No. 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 And at this point, I felt so confident with the control surface of the artist mix, which is right. You know, and I, I asked them, I demoed this unit for about three months. Yeah. What is this one it's called? It's the Avid, Avid S6. S6. Yeah. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to get a control surface, it has to look like my console. I have to have just as many, almost not. Yeah. I have yeah. to have a lot of faders because mm -hmm. I'm still going to be playing with them, you know, with my right hand's going to be moving yeah, and my left yeah. hand's going to be moving them. I have to be able to still do all of that uh, yeah. because that I'm not going to stop. I'm not doing the mouse thing. So when I picked out this, I, I was thinking of other consoles, but this is the one that was strictly control surface, yeah. quick recall, and it was fast. It was just, this was the fastest one. The other ones really don't, yeah, have a little bit of a delay. Yeah. It's so much more efficient, so much quicker, and 
for me, I feel that with my approach, A, B, C, D, it's wider. It's like I said, when I first noticed it on the artist mix, yeah. it's actually wider and more dynamic. And right. I get to the, where I want to be so much quicker. Well, I think we got a cool interview. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Very it's so great. I mean, you know, you I think always love seeing you too. How many years ago? Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeoff.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time.